Can you believe it? It's Wednesday again, back on air. Crazy. Another week gone by. We're halfway through February today. Wow. That's nuts. Nuts. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, so we got the uh, yeah. the flip-flop weather going on. You guys are freezing today. I'm going to have yeah. shorts and t-shirt today. So hopefully we don't lose internet because it's super windy here too. So uh, hopefully we don't get any power lines go down during our show. So anything going on with you guys this week? Anything new and exciting? Nothing tech wise. We were talking about all the sort of weird and wonderful experiments they run. I'm doing the cold plunge thing at the moment. As I know, actually, I know a few people in the MSPU industry who are Todd Kane. He's uh, just done 30 days of it as well, hasn't he? But uh, yeah, no, nothing tech related. So. Gotcha. I think Nigel's into that too. I think he does that yeah. when he when he gets done surfing. So, But Nigel's yeah. idea... I, I try it. I can't do the shower. I'll, I'll go to like the gym in the morning. I'll have my shower and I'll, I'll try and like put it on cold for a bit because I've, I've heard so many good things about it. I'm just like, no, 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 it's too, it's too cold. <laughs> nice with you, Pete. Shower. Put me back again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. <laughs> Well, anyway, I thought we would, uh, since we've got some good feedback from last week's show, uh, we were sans Richard, which was, a, uh, it was good to have Robert on to tell us what he's been up to, but I think you have a lot more to, to chime in and add to the topic this week, Richard. And I think Scott, you said you got some, some feedback. So you guys, if you're watching on the live stream today, Scott's in witness protection program today, so bear with him. <laughs> I sure am. We've got we've got no lighting. I'm wearing a baseball cap to make it worse. Yeah, it's really dark, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you got a new but, friend behind you too, watching. I you. have, yeah. There he is, little. If you can see live, we have a cat. I'm gonna oh. zoom in so we can all see the cat. So, brand new addition to the family. There he is. Look, just he's oh, chilling, chilling, chilling in the windsill. No, yeah, he's purring as well. I can hear it. But yeah, he's been here five days. He's a rescue cat. And uh, he, everyone's just loving him. He's getting bust over all the time. He's, he's starting to settle in really nicely, which is it's awesome. It's really nice. So, yeah, no tech stuff this week, I don't think, for me. It's half term. So we're away with the, you know, just holidays from, from work this week. Uh, kids are off school and new cat. So, yeah, it's nice. Really nice. nice. He looks like he's chilling and, and well uh, made himself oh, at home. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's definitely well. We found him, uh, he keeps breaking into the room where the food is. We found him, like, in the middle of some bags of food. Like, get out! So he, he, he knows where the food is. Yeah, they figure that out pretty quick. So Yeah, yeah, he's smart, yeah. Well, good. But no, he's good. It's, it's nice. But yeah, we did, you know, we got some really interesting feedback after uh, last week's show. Um, mm. So I was chatting to a good friend of mine, and he was saying, hey, you know, I noticed on the, the upserving show that you did you did an awful lot of talking about what we would traditionally call upselling um and and i thought the purpose was upserving so you know we had a great conversation with robert and and all the the um you know the products that they had in their stack and what they wanted to drive customers towards and again as we always talk about that spreadsheet of customers down the left products across the top get the, the check marks in and you know who, who have you sold which products to and who needs the rest um but the feedback that was really interesting was they said how much of that was just upselling was just you as the msp just selling more products to the client whether they needed it or not and this isn't specifically at robert so robert i'm sure you're, you're watching or listening uh, this isn't specifically about you but it was just the, the conversation that we were having was to say yeah make make sure you get that matrix together and then go 
go and sell as many of those. And, and the feedback was, well, how much of that is about the client? How much is it about you as the MSP and, and your margins and your revenues? And, and where's the balance drawn between actual service or just selling more things that you can make a margin on or selling things that make your life as the MSP easier? But is it what's best for the client? And I was like, oh, that's a really great thing to cover and, and and thank you for you know for the feedback and um I, I wish you'd have fed back live because actually you know that would be something that we'd love to dive into so we you know we had a chat about this in in the week on whatsapp and i think it's just it's a lovely place to go and because we we didn't have richard last week as well i thought it's a nice place for us to just pick up on on observing because of course the whole perspective i guess is is serving better or is serving more you know making tech do stuff for the client that makes the client's business better in some way, not just selling them more stuff, right? And, and yeah. again, I just want to be 100% clear, this isn't specifically about Robert or Cara or any of those types of things, it's just the conversation. Um, because I think we were all enthralled last week with Robert's growth and, and, and what's happened at Cara over the last you know couple of years since he's been part of the team there, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd uh, bat things off there. Golf swing that off. So whoever wants I to take that. I jumped all over it when we, in the WhatsApp group. So we, we've got a little WhatsApp group for, for the four of us. And uh, when Scott shared the, the feedback in there, and I, I jumped all over it, didn't I, Scott? Because yeah. this is a really common. Uh, objection is the wrong word. Again, that's using sort of sales terminology. Um, and it's sales terminology and the whole idea of sales that, that I think we probably need to tackle a little bit here. You know, we've touched upon it in the show before, but where we've talked about for a lot of MSPs, for a lot of people in general, sales seems to be categorized as persuading somebody to buy something off you that you're selling. And, you know, Scott and I are big fans of the Go Giver uh, book series from Bob Berg and John David Mann. Selling is not about persuading somebody to buy something off you, whether they might need it or not need it. You know, and this whole concept of upserving, serving clients as opposed to selling to them, it's a really, you know, fundamental change in your thinking. Once you get there, once you realize that actually we're not here to sell to people, we are here to help people. And and going back to, to your friend's feedback, Scott, the reason I jumped all over it, and it's a common objection from MSPs is, well, you know, we're just trying to sell more uh, to, to clients. No, I would say one of the fundamental tenets of managed services that I've learned, you know, over 20 odd years of doing this is, and we've talked about it on the show before, but you want to lower your cost of support and increase your revenue. Now, that is not in conflict with helping the client. We're not about just saying, hey, we've got a new product, we've got a new solution, sell, sell, sell to you. How many of us you know, on the call here today or listening to the show have been in a situation where we know that the client is left vulnerable or it's hanging by a thread or something terrible is going to happen to the client, but they just don't get it. You know, back in my day, it was things like antivirus and backups. Fast forward to today, it might be cybersecurity and things like that. But that is about where you know the client needs something. You've got the solution that's going to help them. Uh, and it's not about persuading them. It's about putting that in front of them and, you know, sharing with them. This is how you're going to get peace of mind. And then in answer to your friend, uh, uh, Scott, if they don't get it or they don't want it, 
okay, but at least you've got a clear mind that you've put in front of them. Hey, here's a solution that's going to help you. But so I think for me, the difference between upselling and upserving, upserving is when you absolutely know the client is going to be better off with this solution or service and no conflict at all. It's going to help you lower your cost of support, help keep the client safer, help increase your profits. For me, there's absolutely no conflict uh, there, but I'm, I'm really interested in what, what everybody else thinks about this. Richard, I think you had a very good comment in the, um, I think it was in the WhatsApp group as well, but um, in terms of obviously, you know, the, the kind of products and things you're, you're, you're selling or upselling or upserving, because there are some services that you know that they're going to need regardless. And if you can supply those services, you know, lots of MSPs will supply telecoms and connectivity and all these kind of things that they're already buying from somebody else. And just like you said earlier, it does make sense to, if you can, bring that in-house with yourself because then it's one supplier. They phone one person when something goes wrong and you as the MSP, and I, all the time we'd have phone calls saying, you know, my broadband's gone down and we go, well, it's with BT. You need to phone BT because they just won't talk to us. And that causes the client more problems. It causes us more problems because we can't do anything with it. So we had a process we would go through in those particular examples, because obviously the pressure's on at that stage of saying, let's move you over to us, because if that happens in the future, we can then deal with all of it. You phone us, we can run the line tests, we can actually go and fix it, we can book the BTA engineers to come out, fix the problems if you need them. But because you, um, the, 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 like the opportunities, because people aren't really looking for those opportunities, they don't really do anything with them. And so this is where the whole like upserving and upselling kind of thing comes from. And the, we mentioned it last week as well, but noting down like any contractual renewal dates for okay we're with bt well how long's left in your bt contract how many months left until the end of your phone system contract let's have a discussion with you before it renews so we can actually get the opportunity to quote whether we're you know one of three or if you want to you kind know, of put us up, up against someone else then absolutely but um it makes sense for you as the msp because it means obviously you can sell more services but you can be more helpful you can be more responsive more reactive more proactive with lots of things going on and we know that you know, most MSPs know and hopefully they know they can do um, the services a lot better than lots of other third party, the big, big third parties can do. You're not just another number. You can give a much more personalized service. So it's a win for the client and a win for you as well. There's, there's no exactly like you said, there's, there's no like sales pitch. It's just, hey, here's a problem. We have a solution. Let's let's see if we can work it out and try and you know, time it correctly. As long as the, you know, the economics and uh, financial, you know, financial kind of things will work out properly. But um, yeah, I, I think that's very important. It's um, it, exactly like you said, it's not, a, it's not just a sales pitch. We're not flogging things you don't need. It's just for us and very much like you were saying, we had the security stack, the lease line, connectivity, um, online backup, just make sure we've got ticks in all the boxes because they are services that, well, every business we serviced, they all needed. It's not like we're trying to go out here and find things that don't exist just to try and make a bit of extra money. I mean, when you want to make the extra money, you kind of go through and say, okay, let's start crawling through and finding some old machines. So we can see if we can flog some old machines, you know, new machines to people that need to upgrade to try and get a bit of extra revenue in before the end of the quarter or whatever it's going to be. That's kind of the, when you're trying to push things a bit further, but no, the, these are all legitimate services that they need to have that you can then provide for them. Yeah. I, I feel like I've talked for far too long. <laughs> yeah. You've hit the nail on the head, Pete, I would say, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll welcome a couple of people to the show real quick, and then we'll move over to uh, Robert chiming in too. So Brent Collins from Little Rock, Arkansas. Welcome. Glad to have you, Brent. 
Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with Brant's work, uh, Brant and Strick, DJ Strick, uh, were partnered up for a while. That's how I get to know Brant. Uh, so good to have you tuning in. He's a fellow tech guy too. So Carlos Riviera tuning in from New Jersey, New York City. So glad to have you, my friend. And let's dig into some comments from uh, Robert uh, also said, yeah, we upserved our clients only because they needed the services, not because we just wanted to sell. And I think, you know, that's the heart of it. Um, yeah, he said we told clients they didn't need certain services and we removed them. So, again, that's part of that service. Uh, and, and, yeah, this is the nail on the head here. It's about the relationships. Um, and if you have those good relationships, the customers know when you're, you know, they know when you're trying to serve them. Um, and I think that, that that's super key. Ian also said, yeah, we consider the upserving to be key to calling yourself an MSP. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that, that I've kind of seen, maybe it's me, but I've kind of seen disappear, if you will, in managed services, not talked about a whole lot, is vendor management mm. as part of your managed services. Like when I was running it a decade ago, that, that was a large part of the sell to manage services is that we would manage those relationships. Exactly what you talked about, Pete, that with, Hey, if your copier goes out, I don't do copiers. You know, there's a third party vendor that did copiers for the attorneys we serviced. I had no desire to get into the copier business, but if your copier breaks, you guys know what happens in a law firm. Everything grinds to a halt. You call us because you, how many times have you guys dealt with a copier guy and what do they say? When the, co when the, co when the copier guy says, okay, there's a problem with this, who, are, who do they usually blame? The IT people. Exactly. So you might as well handle that relationship. Exactly. Like, I don't think I've had a single time where you deal with a copier company who didn't blame it on the IT guy. Uh, you know, it's the network. It's something else. So... But or yeah, the, or the worst version of that, Andrew, is when you get a phone call as the MSP and you say, we've got a, and maybe this is, I'm dating myself a bit with this reference, but we'll all sort of get it. Yeah. We've got a engineer here from the copier company. He wants the administrator password to be able to, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's a reason why you want to be managing those vendors so you can set expectations and manage the whole process, not, not letting some crazy copier dude onto your network. And I, and I think that that's key to getting talking about that as you're selling your managed services, because we kind of glance over that. Yeah, we'll call the copier guy, but help them understand how those scenarios go yeah. and why it's important for you to manage that relationship, because they will pay for that convenience of their staff not having to call and everybody's down for two hours pointing fingers as to who, who the problem is. Yeah. You know, we manage that relationship. So I think, you know, that's a, for instance, like you said, Richard, pointing that out during your sales process. This is what we do for you. It's not just about, you know, fixing printers and emails. We manage your relationships with your vendors, even if you don't sell it. So I think, you know, a large portion of being able to raise your per seat price is make sure you talk about those things. Because I, I don't, and again, maybe it's me. I don't see enough MSPs talking about that portion of what you provide to uh, as a managed service. I think they become, we've become nowadays focused, ironically, given the topic we've got here, more on the, the technical. We've become focused on the services 
not and the solutions. But to, to rewind a bit, you know, I've said this on the show before, we got so good at doing the vendor management piece. I mean, you know, old school MSP here, but we basically uh, looked at managed services to the point of view that the client saw us as looking after anything with a plug on it. Yep. <laughs> you know, anything adds electricity going to it. Oh, it's probably we'll, we'll, we'll give the our MSP a call for it. We got so good at doing that that our clients started phoning us for things that were like wildly outside of our remit. So they would phone us for things like, hey, we've got a leak in the uh, in the ladies' toilets do you have a good plumber? And instead of laughing it off, we said, absolutely, go, go and speak to these guys because we were really good at networking and building uh, that network there. But that all came around because when they phoned us about their air conditioning, uh, when they phoned us about their copiers, when they phoned us about their telephone system, CRM, whatever it might be, we said, we can look after that for you. Now, we didn't necessarily do the work ourselves. We built what, what would be called by a lot of people the strategic alliance we budded up with other people to deliver those services and some people might say well what on earth has this got to do with it what on earth has a plumber got to do with it it's got nothing at all to do with it but you move from being seen as that it guy to being seen as that trusted advisor that's the real value here and actually you may not even be the best it guy in your part of the world. But if you can build up that trusted advisor relationship, that is really powerful. And people will definitely pay for that in the same way they pay for their accountant, solicitor, lawyer, you know, all of that type of thing. So I think it is, it's going back to what Robert said, it's all about the relationship. Yeah, just, you know, that that integration there of, of the relationships, you know, just to give you for, you know, and that's why I think, you know, the, the way that I teach LinkedIn is not just to get on there and sell. Get on there and connect with people that could help your clients and 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 have, like you said, build a deep network. Uh, and I think, you know, that's where you you move out of that conversation with just being the IT guy. Uh, when you got battery backup going off, Pete. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we just had a power cut. Give me two minutes. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, we and, thought it was going to be you with the power cut, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm waiting for it. So... Um, you know, just to give you a, for instance, I, I went and met an attorney and I, who I had connected with on LinkedIn and said, Hey, let's go have coffee, you know, cause I, that was how I did it. Thursday afternoons was dedicated time for me to go network, build connections, build relationships. So I went in and I was waiting for him and I noticed on the receptionist desk, she had like six cleaning company contracts that they were going through. So I was chatting with her a little bit. She said, yeah, we're, you know, we're trying to pick out a cleaning company. And I happened to recognize one of them who served pretty much all the rest of my clients. So I got on the elevator with the attorney and I said, yeah, I said, I said, you know, Susan said, you're looking for a new uh, cleaning company for the office. And he said, yeah, he's like, I have to do that when I have to pick one out whenever I come back from our meeting. So I went through and I told him, I said, you know, so-and-so company here, I know the guy well. He actually cleans four other attorney's offices for us and two other apartment communities. I uh, said, they do a fantastic job. And he's like, thank you. You just saved me probably an hour or two of my time when I come back. And a billable hour for an attorney, what is that? Two, three, four, five hundred dollars $500? Right. You know, the owner yeah. of a law firm doesn't want to be picking out a cleaning company. So you bypass that process and that, you know, 
needless to say, I was able to sign that contract because you show your value well outside of being just the tech guy. I am a business problem solver. We are here to help you. Um, You know, kind of a general contractor. And I think that that's, we've kind of gotten away from that. And again, maybe I'm just seeing it wrong, uh, but too much of the conversations are around, you know, cyber solutions. And we've got away from the thing that actually, the secret sauce that actually makes us as an MSP different. That's how we differentiate uh, between each other, really, is the, the level of service. So agreed. Yeah. Ian said, yeah, ask. manage service providers, managing, manage my services, connectivity, domain registration, usual stack of tools, printing, et cetera. So yeah, Ian's on mark there. So, That's a good point. Yep. Do you, you think, got another comment there, Scott? Yeah. So I wonder, like, do you think we, like us and, and our community, we're in our own little echo chamber of, of being that kind of supportive, modern thinking MSP, where it is all about the relationship and actually the challenge that we're going to have is that there are still those MSPs going out there that are just trying to sell every single service that they can because they get more margin, because the sales guys are on commission, because the vendor's doing great rebates or a trip to Greece or whatever it is, you know, that quarter. Um, so, I mean, it still happens. We know it still happens. So what, it's, it, the challenge, I guess, for us is as we go out and approach those clients and speak to them and we say, hey, you know, we genuinely think you need A, B, C, D, E we're standing up against a load of other people who've gone and gone, yeah, and you need this and this and this and that and this. And oh, I noticed that you haven't got a pink one of these and you need two of those. And I see that your hexagonal tag nut adapter needs adjusting. Yep. So here's, you know, five of those. Um, and, and like for most clients, they're just, I don't, I don't know. This is just, these are just techie words. I don't know what those mean, but you say I need them. So did the last five guys. And, and then it, that's how we end up just in this price discussion again not value discussion and so i'm just interested to hear like what are your thoughts on that because i think um you know i don't i don't doubt any of, of our community we, we are very much thinking of the service and serving and and you know doing that the right way with the right heart but i think we're in a in an industry that has traditionally and, and still does just sell stuff for <laughs> because because we make more margin or because we get more commission or because i'm behind target this month as a salesperson and so they need to sell stuff and they're, they're just going to go sell it that's who we're up against and so how are we being more how, how are we going to separate ourselves in our messaging you know when we talk to these clients that's, that's the bit i'm interested in I tell the, the the story. I've I've shared this story probably before. Hell, if you watch this show long enough, you're going to hear all of my stories. But uh, years ago, when I was running the MSP, so sometimes it's not what you do sell; it's knowing when to say no. That's not what we do. That can earn a lot of trust as well. So the, the story I'll share with you. You know, many years ago, we were dealing with a ceramics company. They called us in uh, for a managed service contract, and we were pitching against uh, two of the other, one of the other uh, West Midlands' biggest MSPs, very, very well known, a huge sales machine, and one of the nation's biggest MSPs as well. And we were the small guy just going into there, and they said, hey, you know, talk to us about managed services. Uh, and they said, oh, and by the way, we need a CRM system, customer relationship management system. And we said, okay. 
Uh, we don't do that ourselves, but we can introduce you to our partner who does deliver CRM. And we will, you know, if you've got any technical queries, we'll, we'll deal with them directly, no problem at all. And they said, okay, thanks. A couple of weeks later, they came back and they said, hey, you've, you've won the managed service contract. And we were like, wow, thank you. Um, can we just ask, why did we win that deal? And they said, oh, well, when we spoke to the other two companies, we said, uh, can you help us with the CRM? And they said, no. And that was it. We don't do CRM. So sometimes I think to your point, Scott, when you say, no, we don't do that. And let us introduce you to somebody you can, that can build a lot of trust by showing that you know where your limits are, that you know that the best thing for the clients is not necessarily to cludge your way through it, but to introduce them to a partner who can do it better than you and better value for the client as well. So I think in answer to your question, Scott, maybe that's one of the ways that we differentiate ourselves from the pack who sell, sell, sell uh, by, by knowing when to stick with our core competencies and when to introduce the partner into the conversation as well. I think once once we're in a relationship, I think that's definitely doable. I think it's it's during that sales process or that you know that bidding process where, you know, they've they've got a bad experience with their, their current MSP. They're maybe shortlisting three or four different MSPs, and it's it's in that time where you've got the opportunity to go in and and you know differentiate differentiate yourself. Can't even say the word. Just stand out from the pack from all the other guys who are just saying, yeah, sell to sell product product product. Here's my stack. Here's my stack. It's the best thing for you. Um, and just, yeah, it's just really interesting in, in, you know, how you think we can stay, stand in front of those other, I'm going to call them bad MSPs. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure no one, no one sets out to be a bad MSP. Um, but you know what I mean? You, you get my point. Uh, I think from, um, having sat on a few like boards for like tender processes and things recently, it, it has massively opened my eyes that the other MSPs and the other IT companies that are, are out there. Um, I mean, we all think that we're we're amazing. Our company's different. We're better than others. Our support's like unique. All these kind of things, and um, I, I think that's true to a certain extent. But a lot of the the gaps that I saw between these different companies, lots of it came down to actually just listening to the customer and to their problems, to their points, the the specific issues they wanted to raise, because going through this process. The one that won the tender was the one that listened and took action based on the feedback they were getting. Whereas the others were, you know, blinkers on just going down their, their supplied route, which going down kind of what we've just been saying of like, no, your way or the highway. And you kind of have to know when to step back, but also you have to know when to listen and to try and make your, your conversation steer that towards how it's going to fix the things that they're talking about. And, and even simple things like the, the budget question of, you know, what can you do for this budget? That was such a, in my eyes, and I, I really hope we did this through my MSP, and you kind of question yourself when you see these kind of things. But um, only one company asked if there was a budget. The one company that did get uh, the told the budget was um, the one that came in. Um, they did come in over budget, but they came in and said, well, this is what we can deliver for the budget, and here's the bit that's above and beyond. There was one other company that later on found out what the budget was, but still blew past it with no explanation of how they could reduce the cost or prioritizing the work or anything along those lines. And the rest of them completely blew past it because they didn't even ask the question of what the budget was. And that was just like one aspect. Um, some people were leaving things out of the quotes that they'd been asked for. Um, 
one of the tenders we did was for a school and people that work with schools will know that they sometimes need like lighting and sound equipment for like the, the halls and the, the those kind of things admittedly yep lots of msps don't do that but lots of school-based msps do do that um but some of them don't do that and they literally just left a gap in their proposal they mentioned no mention of the thing that they needed in there no like like you were saying no recommendations nothing along those lines so i think in terms of the you know the question of how do you like differentiate yourself it it, it feels really silly but even just basics just just listening to the client because lots of people just don't listen to the client um so you've got the people that don't listen to the client and then you've got the msps that are just bad MSPs, like you say, and they come in with the bad advice, do the wrong thing, don't put in supported, you know, hardware or software or anything along those lines. And I think it very much is the differentiator to be just listen with intent and make sure you're responding to and addressing anything they're raising up and not just kind of skimming over things just because you don't do it, but actually saying, oh, hey, exactly as Richard said, no, we don't do that. And either here's why, because there's a better way of doing things or, you know, whatever your reasoning or here's someone who could do it for you that we can recommend that we've used before or whatever it's going to be. Um, but it is a super difficult one because yeah, you're quite right. We, we all think we're special uh, when really realistically we're probably not, but then also I think we've got a bit of a, um, uh, you know, unreal expectation of everyone out there is literally, you know, in doing the exact same stuff we're doing, even though it's the same kind of software, but it's, it's not in the same way. Um, and that's the thing that all of us say our service is our USP our service is like the only thing that differentiates us because we are still selling the same stuff generally. Yeah. And that's, it's hard to sell the fact that you're a better service than somebody else in that sales process, you, you know, cause you're basically yeah. saying I'm great. They suck. Um, yeah. But I, I think to even, even feedback, cause yeah. you, you can get feedback from tons of clients that have no idea what it is yeah. saying you're amazing five stars. Well, they could be the worst company in the world. They just have clients that are, you know, absolutely clueless as, as far as they're concerned. Maybe they're lucky they haven't had a, a breach or a hack for them to you know, have any form of bad opinion. But it's, it's super difficult to, you know, be able to tell. Yeah, and and I think kind of touching on your point, Scott. Um, the last couple of years that I had my MSP, we refocused on, you know, completely changing the sales process. I did everything in my power not to talk about the tech during, during those sales process, I wanted to know business outcomes. What is the business outcome that my service provides for who we are selling to? And you get to know, and that's, you know, I fought it for a long time, not niching down. But when you do that, like, you know, I solidified, yeah, we had others, but I had property management companies and attorneys. I knew the ins and outs of every business challenge that they had. And that's what I addressed in the sales process with new prospects is you address the business challenges you've helped others solve. And to Pete's point, you got to listen and find out what their particular nuance is to the problems and challenges that they're having. And then it becomes, you know, this is how our service helps you solve that business outcome. Um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of, pulling away from the, the normal sales process that we all have seen. And, you know, we still see, I still see the same sales process when I got into the business way back in 2004, almost 20 years ago. Um, but I think that's what the business owners want to see the business outcome of what writing you a check means. And I think, you know, that's where the vendor management, I would sell hard on that. 
I would sell hard on the vendor management and talk about our executive concierge service where we went above and beyond what anybody else was going to do. Yeah. And that's how I separated ourselves from the pack. I think there's and a good, there's a good analogy, Andrew, in the insurance market and something Pete was saying, you know, we all essentially sell the same type of thing, whether you agree with that or don't agree with that. If I look at the insurance market, when I want new house insurance or car insurance or whatever it might be, I go onto one of these screen scraper websites, you know, the comparison websites, I find the cheapest quotes. And then typically, you know, if uh, I'll look at that and it's like, great. But then if there's a quote that's almost the same price or even in the same ballpark, and I look at the reviews and or the, the social proof, the testimonials about that insurance company, and people are saying things like, they made it super easy for us. In other words, these guys weren't your typical insurance so-and-sos who do everything in their power not to pay it on a claim to you. So when all things are equal or even close to equal, I'm going to go with somebody who has got a reputation for offering better service. And to Pete's point, you know, about, you know, we're all doing the same thing. It, it, the secret sauce is whether you can demonstrate and you can get the social proof, the testimonials, get across to people that, when things go wrong, we're going to have your back. Uh, and I think that goes a huge, huge long way for people, you know, going, okay, you might be a bit more expensive, uh, and, but we know that you're going to have our back when, if and when things go wrong. And that's the differentiator. And I think actually going back to something Scott said earlier on when, you know, people are, are overselling and stuff, there are lots of different ways you can differentiate yourself, but actually that's one of them, but saying we're definitely going to have your back when things go wrong. Not just talking about it, getting other people to talk about it. I think that's, that's a big part of the puzzle. It is. Yeah, Carlos Riviera said uh, the key, I think, is to make it easier for the client Exactly. It's easier for the client to call a single point of contact for all their IT needs. That's the value we should be getting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, Tim, Tim, Tim Coach uh, had a quick question here. Said the issue with vendor management is time. It's fine if it's a few minutes to manage, but what do you do if you spend hours, days, weeks working with a managed vendor? How do you suggest managing that? Love that question. Can I, can I jump in there? I'm sure you've got some ideas on it as well. Do it. Do it up. <laughs> The, the thing to me, and it's a great question from Tim, like vendor management, great, but what if the client starts throwing all of these different third, uh, you know, line of business and third party applications? This is where you build the relationships up with your um, preferred third parties, and then everything gets a lot, lot smoother. Uh, so some really good examples of this, I think, from from my world in the past might have been um, accounts packages like Sage and QuickBooks and things of that nature. Uh, they tended to be a little bit of a pig to deal with, but we built up relationships with third parties who did specialist support for those things. And then when we need, when the client had a, a you know an issue that we couldn't solve ourselves, it immediately got escalated to our trusted partner, and they dealt with it on uh, the behalf. So I think that's a, it's a really short answer to what can be a long and complicated uh, sort of situation, Tim. But from my perspective, if you build that relationship with the third parties, it's going to remove a ton of the friction uh, of doing business there. And you're going to come off looking like the hero as a result. I think something I'd add one to of that the... is to make sure you're paying for it. Sorry. Uh, we might have been about to say the same thing. You go. 
<laughs> well, I was going to say, my, my add on to that is just to make sure you're billing for it and, and even have a category in your ticketing tool to categorize the you know vendor management or something. Because um, as things do start to balloon, yep, Sage exactly was one of those ones that we repeatedly had issues with, particularly at certain times of the year. And um, yeah, you, you don't know what you don't know. So just make sure you're tracking those hours so at least you can go back to the client and study and go, okay, we've spent you know, X hours this month speaking to these two suppliers of yours. What's going on? Do we need to, you know, do, do we need to do something else? Do we need to find someone else? Or what, what can we do to reduce those hours? And in some cases with, with some of our clients, we did just say, if you want to bring the, uh, you know, cost is going to go up unless we stop doing these phone calls. Um, so in some situations, we just stopped calling Sage because we all know how horrendous Sage can be sometimes. Uh, and we just left that with the client and they were happy for their staff to, to do that if they want to waste their staff's time. But it's one of those conversations I think you just need to have. Pete, how dare you besmirch Sage? You realize where <laughs> I am. I'm in Newcastle upon Tyne, which is the home of Sage. How dare you? Surely. Sage just needs to die a death. God. <laughs> no, no chance can... that's going to happen, but we're, we're zero no users. From what Sage. <laughs> can, can we line Sage up next to uh... 15 minutes away from, from where I am in the studio? Right now. <laughs> I feel like we should we should gather all of Sage together and just stick it in a car park next to W H Smiths, which is is one of those stores that we have here in the UK. That I just I don't understand. You sell Parker pens that nobody wants. You sell papers that people just walk in and read and walk back out without buying. And you sell notepads. I mean, we've all got Amazon. What? How? How is it still in business? I don't understand. High street shops are closing all over the place. That one's still going. I'm going to stop ranting. Anyway, my point for Tim. Um, Tim, I think one of the other options that you could consider, I'm not saying it's right for everybody, one of the other options you could consider is putting a, uh, a limit on the amount of time that you would spend on certain vendor tickets each month. Um, so you might say, look, okay, we'll, we'll include your vendor management, but there's a 45 minute sort of cap, if you like, for doing that interaction each week, month, whatever time period you want. If we have to spend more time than that, then there will be some chargeable time that goes against that. And I think everyone can understand, look, we're saying we do everything. We're saying we look after all your vendors and there's a reasonable expectation of the amount of effort that's involved in that. They know themselves, if it's a terrible vendor, they'd have to spend six hours on the phone trying to deal with an issue and they're just going to lump that in you and you're going to do it as part of the service they know what they're getting right so you could you can quite happily say no that there's there's a cap per ticket or per incident or per time period whatever it is and above that we, we're going to have to charge extra and that way again back to pete and, and richard's point they'll start to see where things are you know costing more or that time is being taken up more and more and probably distracting from the great managed service that you do and some of those tickets are going to be slow they go oh you never solved that stage problem well, no you can see from the hours we've spent and had to bill you on it that it's not really within our gift to fix so again it helps just separate out yeah this is the stuff that we do this is stuff we're going to have to charge extra for and, and not doesn't just leave you hanging with the well, I've said I'll do it, and so now I'm going to have to do it no matter how many hours it takes. So I just thought that might be another tack you could have a look at. Yeah, what we did with attorneys, we you and, and again, I think that's the key with niching down and understanding the market you're in. Like you guys said, you know Sage is a pain. Okay, you, I account for that in my managed services. You, you account for the PIA factor of whatever tools they're dealing with. 
Uh, so for me, I factored that in there. And, and again, that's up to me to explain why our price is the way it is. And that's why it's important to tell those stories. We have other co customers using Sage. They had this problem. And like you said, Scott, the customers know, okay, we had that exact same problem. Okay, how many hours did that cost you? It cost my client over here 25 hours of his time to do that. Okay, well, it cost us the same amount. Okay, that's part of our service. So we just, we factor in having to deal with those things. Uh, practice management software for attorneys, same thing. Whenever there's updates that have to occur, you explain that to them. It, we realize that, you know, these particular softwares do yearly updates and they're pretty big. So we're going to have some extra time and doing backups and recovery, you know, just making sure everything's there. And then if there's new features that roll out, we're going to have increased tech support because people are going to be asking questions. Where did this go or why did this move? But when you explain all of that to them in a sales process or a TBR at some point, letting them see painting that picture is key rather than going through and saying line item with all those things out. Uh, that's where understanding the industries really came into play. Um, and, and again, taking those things off of their plate, people pay for convenience. You're paying extra for the convenience of us having to deal with that. Uh, and we would go back like to like what you guys said, uh, we would go back and review periodically our contracts. So we didn't let it go three years before we did a price increase. We, you know, we knew, okay, we looked at all of those things and we had that broken out in ConnectWise. Any vendor management had its own category. So I could go through and see each one of my clients, how much vendor management are we actually doing? So to Pete's point, having those educated conversations, here's the data. Here's the data we're looking at. And again, you know whether or not you're in line with how you quoted it in the first place or whether or not you need to adjust the price or like Pete said, pick a different vendor. Do we need to look at somebody else that's not so labor intensive? Um, and those conversations in the sales process are super important because then that takes you away from, okay, you do office 365, you fix printers, you, you do everything else that the last five quotes said. Um, and I think that that's, that's super important to get that across, uh, in, in that sales process to reassure them that you got your back. They, we got their back. A key point I'd like to make here, and this is something, you know, I learned the hard way and I picked up from one of my great friends and mentors, Carl Palachuk, that is making sure that if you are uh, offering to support a client's, let's say, line of business application, third party application, whatever it might be, that the client has a support contract in place with the vendor. So yeah. what you don't want in this situation is, as we just said about like Sage or whatever it might be, the client going, oh man, this is a real pain. We don't want to go through this. So we're just going to hand it to these guys. Um, you know, they cannot, your client cannot abdicate responsibility for support, for updates on that product, whatever it might be. So when you go into it, you can say, you could actually say within your contract or within the sales discussion, hey, we will extend support to you on any product that you've got a support contract for. We will take it out of your hands. We will handle the ticket. We will handle all of that, all of that type of thing for you, knowing that you've got the third party experts there. 
Now, back to one of Tim's earlier points, once you start to build this catalog of really trusted suppliers, you can then make recommendations. You can say, actually, Sage is not a good fit there. Let's introduce you to our friends at zero or whatever it might be. And, and that's the way we started to lower the cost of support, increase the revenue. But you cannot, you cannot take on board uh, you know, that third party line of business product where uh, they say, oh, we need an update for this, right? Where's the original discs? Oh, there's a floppy disk somewhere in that drawer over there. And you're like, a what? <laughs> you can't, no, you know, it's got to be a supported product. So. Yeah. And I think that's key in the discovery process. You know, we made that part of our discovery process as we're going in, you know, because we all have that conversation. Okay, the next point is to do our network audit, you know, that typical thing. But that's part of the process is, you know, finding all of those things out before, you know, well beforehand. And, you know, you line out all of those line of business apps, you make sure of those things in the discovery process. And one of the things that we did as well is talking to the people you're going to be supporting before I give a quote. And that was super key for me to understand how the business thinks, how the business operates, because I also know, we all know that there is a PIA factor, that you a variable that we may have to add in here to take this client on. Um, but I think, like you said, Richard, finding all of those things out and making that super clear in that discovery process so that when you sit down and you're actually talking, you know, the numbers of it, they understand the full scope of what you're doing. And to Pete's point, like that's the differentiator. You, you said that one vendor at, took the time to bother to find more details. Only one. It, it, we don't, it, it's, we don't have to do anything spectacular really to elevate ourselves above the rest of the, the folks out there. That's just the, it's just the nature of the, the, the business that we're in. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's super important to have all of that in the discovery process and to, to, uh, Tim's point here, how often do you suggest reviewing the contracts with your clients so that you are not getting blamed? So anybody have any tips for, for Tim there? We, we'd always do it on a quarterly basis. So even though we had annual contracts, just review them on a quarterly basis. Um, and when I say review them with a the client, so we would review them internally to check our data and make sure that it was kind of within acceptable usage. Um, and if there was any issues for three months, con sorry, yeah, three months consecutively, then we'd have a discussion with the client and say, okay, we need to figure out what's going on here. Let's have a discussion. Is there something going on behind the scenes? Do we need to look at changing vendors? But yeah, every three months for us. We looked at it regularly. We and, and it goes back to something that we keep banging the drum about on this show. And that is if you capture the time that you're spending on these different things properly, you can go in and say, actually, we have spent an inordinate amount of time managing Sage products. We're picking on Sage a lot this. Last week it was Microsoft. <laughs> this week it's Sage. Next week you're nice to us as vendors. But um yeah, so once you're categorizing that time, you can actually easily pick out, look, we're spending an inordinate amount of time dealing with this vendor for this client. If we continue on this basis, this profit, this project, this customer, this client is not going to be profitable for us. So in answer to Tim's question, similar to Pete, we would go back to them regularly and say, actually, we're looking at this. We really recommend you move across 
to zero for your accounting because it's going to be easier for you it's going to be easier to support and it's the future but if you do decide you want to stay with sage we've got to let you know we're spending a lot of time managing them for you so our contract is going to go up by this much uh in the future but if you manage it if you measure it you can manage it properly so it all comes down to managing those tickets yeah. Added to that slightly, if um, so, because we had a few of those discussions of like, okay, we recommend this, or you do this, um, this will fix the ongoing problem. If they then said, no, we don't want to do that for any reason, I appreciate for accounts, it's obviously a big change to do that. Sure. Um, within our contract, that gave us the right to say, okay, that's fine. Now that is now excluded from our contract. It's kind of on a, um, to a certain extent, on a best efforts basis. So we'll do best kind of endeavor. what we can but we are within our rights just to say, no, sorry, that's that's now not covered and we can charge for it. Because um, everyone has one of those, like an access database that was put together by someone like 20 years ago and they're like on their last leg and you're not sure what's going to happen next. Like, we all have one of those. And um, <laughs> even still, a lot of my clients have those. <laughs> we, getting back to the theme of this show, we were talking about upserving. A brilliant example, I would say, of how we did that with exactly that scenario, Pete. So we, we used to do a lot of work with uh, clients uh, in engineering, manufacturing, those sort of things. There is always, isn't there, a machine? on the workshop floor you don't even know the machines there but it's like a compact machine from like 1991 that still uses floppy disks but it runs the only software that can power up let's just say the laser cutting machine or something so you've got two options there haven't you the first option is you become an expert on laser cutting machines and say actually things have moved forward we think you should have this quite difficult quite niche very niche indeed or you can observe the client by saying, if that machine blew up, how would you replace it? And they'd be like, uh. you could say to them, okay, we would do regular image-based backups of that machine that can be restored onto dissimilar hardware. So if that fails, you've got a fighting chance of being able to buy a new PC, restore the image onto it, and away we go. Of course, it's never that quite that simple, but there's an example of where you could choose key machines within a client's network that absolutely they cannot be without. And you can observe that client by selling them workstation backup and disaster recovery for those particular machines. And we, we did that quite successfully. Again, lowered our cost of support because who was going to get blamed when it went wrong? <laughs> it was going to be us. So yeah. we, we made it to cover ourselves there. And that all works perfectly right up until the point where it's, uh, and by the way, the machine needs domain admin privileges. <laughs> yeah. Or no, the, the one we had, Pete, was, right, where can we source a machine that's got a parallel port? <laughs> <laughs> or a, a 25 pin serial port. And, and then the younger engineers in the office are like, a what now? And we're like, it's like a USB <laughs> port, but bigger. <laughs> yeah. Or the, I, I want to throw the... a, um, a question ahead, out there, Pete. if I can do, guys. Um, yep. Kind of on the upserving side of things. So um, I was chatting with uh, with a guy. He's, he sent me a message the other day saying, I might be turning down a 30 grand 365 licensing deal because they want to annual commit but want to pay monthly. He's a small company. He can't stomach the, obviously, the, the potential risk of if they go under and stop paying them or something. H how could you turn that around? Like, should that just be a stage you just haven't turned around and say, no, that's not for me. We can't do that. Or are there any other creative ways you can think of for that person to be able to, because you know, 30K is a good chunk of business for, for essentially a, a one-man kind of MSP. And it's a, it's one of those tempting things. And the only things I could think of really is um, 
it's certainly like credit checking your client, making sure that they, they are good and have good credit history. So, you know, they're good for it, so to speak, but there's always that risk. So we know that it could happen. Um, someone else mentioned getting insurance, but someone also mentioned that getting insurance was extremely expensive to get that kind of level of cover, apparently like more, more than what you probably lose from not having it. Um, so yeah, just just thought I'd throw that one out there. If anyone's got any clever thoughts on, obviously, if one of these things is like small small MSPs trying to grow, and you get those kind of roadblocks in the way that really really stops progress in some stages. It's interesting, Scott, isn't it? Because that's worth hmm, what do you say, thirty grand a month? Uh, good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure. No, no. It's, if, it, if it's did you say it was thirty grand a month in licensing? It was a thirty k three six five licensing deal on an annual commit, but monthly paid. So maybe that's a thirty k over a year. Uh, okay, because I was like, thirty k a month. That's huge. It's a big company. Way into EA territory. Oh yeah, thirty k a month would be yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So times. I mean, like so the reality pounds. is the, the margin is worth £375 a month yeah. on that licensing. You'll get an extra rebate of 4%, which depending on where you're up to, you might get all that 4% as cash. You might only get 3% of it as cash. Like £400 a month, if you, if you were just not comfortable with it, I think I'd, I'd leave it and just say, hey, buy direct or... You know, um, you mm. could, if you're with PAX 8, you could get PAX 8 to do the invoicing and they will just pay you the rebate or the margin on it. And so in which case you're not doing the invoicing at all. They'll charge you the overhead uh, for the billing. So you get less percentage. But in reality, the risk is then with PAX 8, I believe. Um, so that's certainly an option. Oh, interesting. Um, you could invoice factor and you could charge the client for the invoice factoring. Um, so essentially get credit for it. Um, and the credit is with the client and then they are paying the additional 4% or whatever on top. Um, it's not much of an incentive for the client, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would look at, um, certainly with distribution, I'd look at your distributor and say, do you do a scheme where you build the client and I just get the rebate or the margin or whatever, because those schemes do exist. And that way, oh, they're, they're, they're they're not... they, they weren't aware of that with Pax8, so that's a very interesting one. Have a chat, definitely. It, I, I haven't done it myself, but I'm very aware that it was available. Maybe it's changed with NCE, but I would, I, it's certainly been my phone call to make. Awesome. No. What does that equate to? Okay, 400 pounds a month? What does that equate to in dollars? 400 dollars. 600, 500. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing I'd be asking myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not a lot, but um, one very small managed service contract, isn't it? Yeah, it so is. You find and and picking their new client up. You know, the risk is if they go pop, the the MSP stuck with. You know, let's say they go pop six months in. Okay, well they've still got another fifteen thousand pounds to pay mm. out of their own pocket, and and the and the upside was four hundred a month. It's it is quite a risk. I, I totally understand mm -hmm. that. Um, so yeah, speak to Pax8, see if they're still doing we bill and we pay you the rebate or whatever. You make a really good point, Sweet. Scott. We could probably, Andrew, do a whole show about the value that distributors can add to the MSP's relationship that is massively overlooked. 
uh, especially with the new breed of, uh, I wouldn't even call them distributors, but, you know, similar thing. Pax8 are doing incredible stuff for the MSB industry. And a lot of, you know, uh, we do some work with Pax8 and the biggest challenge they have is <laughs> educating the MSBs to say, hey, we can help you with this. Um, so we could probably do an entire show about that, couldn't we? I think so. Because uh, one yeah. of the vendors, I don't, did have you, did you guys ever use Chartech? I think they're they're a US based. They're not really in the UK, but aware of them. Gotcha. Yeah. Like that was another one that ever I had debate two and four, you know, about hardware. Uh, we did our hardware as a service through Chartech, and yes, yeah. I did it for a while. We white labeled our own stuff. I had a vendor that would build machines literally half a mile from my office. Went down that road. Um, but yeah, I think the, the value there for that was, I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to worry about warranties. I could literally, you know, somebody gets hosed with a virus on their machine. I could go into Jartech, request a new box, and I would have it at 9am the next day from shipped from California with my image on it for that customer. Yeah. I paid a premium for that, but I didn't have to worry about it. Like there was, I didn't have to deal with warranties. I didn't have to deal with any of that crap. So it's going back to the original conversation we had, isn't it, Andrew, about why as an MSP, how can we differentiate ourselves? Well, we can, and I think it was Ian who said, um, you just want to make things life easy for the clients. In this instance, we're the client and the distributor is, you know, the people who are selling. Well, you know, what can they do differently for you? What do Pax8 do better than your West Coast or tech data, whoever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just those things that you save as an MSP, I didn't have to worry about that. And that allowed me to concentrate on growing that, that allowed me to concentrate on providing better, better customer service. So yes, I could have made a little bit more money had I done it myself. But again, we don't always look at that cost versus our time. You know, we're, we're taking away our time, but you're also taking away your ability to grow your business. So that's yeah. even more cost that we don't factor in. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we'll definitely maybe see if we can get uh, some folks from Pax8 to jump on. I, I would like to explore myself what they do. Pax8 wasn't around uh, when I had my MSP, and I think there, what are, what other ones are out there that are doing similar type things with consolidation with billing and those types of things? I mean, the Disney's are all doing it now, aren't they? The West Coast, the Tech Datas, the Synexes, they're, they're all doing the consolidated kind of MSP building now. Yeah. yeah. As, as, think, as yeah. a general uh, spokesperson for Pax8, because I'm on all of, pretty much all of their launch briefings here in the UK when they're attracting new partners, um, I'll answer you and say, no one's doing it as well, Andrew. It's Pax8 or, 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 the, or the highway. Um, but no, genuinely, <laughs> they, they are doing a really good job. Um, I know quite a few of the UK folks, if you want to get a UK person on, but uh, they're also, they're doing a huge conference in Denver in June, yeah, um, which is their their, yeah, their first conference. Uh, so I'll be heading over there for that as well. But they're, they're a great bunch. They just, they actually give a crap about MSPs and what MSPs need. And that's just a, a breath of fresh air, you know, for a lot of distribution. Um, yeah. I know some are better than others, and I'm, I'm genuinely not going to tar everybody with the same brush. I'm not because I know some of them are really great. Um, yeah. But you know, some of the experience has just been box shifting mentality, and, and it's still there. Clunky old portals, you know, old paperwork processes, manual approvals, licenses that don't appear until over the weekend because someone's come in on Monday morning and pressed a button. Just 
so old school and and just no knowledge of the products that they're selling so like you're like i'm stuck with this it's not working oh cool have you raised the ticket with the vendor no i i, I got this through you I'm, i was hoping for some packs they have like vendor support capability in all of the products that they sell they have 98 percent automation so anything you buy through the portal is automated and delivered to the end client it's it's, it's really good yeah, I'll shut that's... up because otherwise I'm just sounding like a shield for Pax Eight. And, and no, I'm, that, I don't know. I do the Pax Eight hour once a month anyway when I do their partner launches. It's it's again lovely people, but um, also, yeah, I'm, I'm, great I'm sure they would be delighted to to come on and chat. Plus, one, I've, I've interviewed Matt Lee's been on my show a couple times. Oh uh, yeah, Matt Lee's a legend. Love yeah. Matt. And yeah, yeah, kudos to them for picking up Rob Ray. Uh, that was just yeah. an amazing pickup for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I've known Rob since my level platforms days. I, you know, I think yeah. we connected like way back in 2007. So yeah, it's quite a He's ride. He's keynoting so. at beyond. I think he's going to be the keynote. That's what I just saw. Yeah. So, I, yeah. you know, I think there's lots of exciting things and I, I think there's lots of ways for MSPs to be able to take that next step as a version 2.0 or 3.0, wherever we're at with the MSP industry. Um, and I think it is, it is going to be, you know, with partnerships like PAX 8, they're going to allow you to scale at the speed that you want to scale, assuming that's your goal. So good deal, guys. I, you know, we got the, a little bit past the hour and I know you guys got a jet, but yeah, this was a great discussion. I'm glad we uh, did a part two of Upserving. Yeah. And yeah. if you're listening to this on the podcast, please reach out with questions for us if you think of any questions and if you're tuning in over there in YouTube land, be sure to like, and subscribe while you're there. I forgot to say that last week. So you know, we'll do our, our typical plug there. Um, but yeah, reach out if there's anything you guys want to cover, uh, next week, I think we have scheduled and ask us anything show. So bring your questions, bring those tough things. We'll see what we can to, to answer those tough questions next week. So thank you, Ian, for tuning in live. Uh, Tim Coach, I just connected with last week, so they're doing some exciting stuff. Like, that's another vendor that I think, you know, again, there's some really, really cool stuff being done in the space. And I think it's going to get even cooler with all the tech people that got laid off. That's 100,000 smart people that are in the market now building cool stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who else? Robert Gibbons, Carlos Rivera, Brant, if you're still on, thank you for tuning in live and Anyone else who's watching this or listening to this later, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate all the love and support for the show. So any parting thoughts from you guys? And we will go ahead and wrap for the week. My only passing thought is it looks like Scott's got like shrinking throughout the show. You, <laughs> yeah. so we're saying Richard's the lowest down and now Scott's the lowest. I told you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they've done to this chair, right? But I, I am just sliding off the front of it <laughs> the whole show. So I've been fighting, and as it's got to the hour, I've just gone. You know what? No, I'm just. I'm just going to slide. <laughs> He's going to slide with it. So. Yeah. Oh, we should right. put it out um, to the audience as well. I'm on assignment next week, so I'm not. I'm not going to be uh, a part of the usual um, uh, fantastic. Yeah. So um, who, who's going to who's going to step in? I mean, Who we got great feedback be? about Robert Gibbons. I, I yeah, genuinely yeah. thought it was like Mel Gibson or George Clooney when I saw the screenshot, but it was <laughs> Robert Gibbons who joined us last week. So, yeah, who's who's it going to be? Who's the special guest star for next week? Love we to, will find maybe out. Maybe the audience yeah. Some yeah, if you guys have anybody that uh, you'd like to see on the show, uh, let me know. We'll see if we can get that done. 
I know Robert's going to fill yeah. in for you when you're going to be gone in March. He already agreed to that. Um, so I think March 22nd, I think he'll be on the show then. So, And I would just say, if, if there is feedback or like response to anything that we've done in one of the shows, like please let us know. Because again, this entire show today was inspired by some feedback that we got last week. And so it's great to just hear... You know, how, different angles, different perspectives. Oh, I don't agree with what you guys said, or actually, I've got a different take. I love that. You know, let so, let us know. Yeah, same here. Same here. All right, guys, that wraps us for the week. We appreciate it again. Uh, check us out on all the social channels. Let us know. Give us some feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, if we don't see you around on social media, we will see you on next week's show. Richard, you have a good week off as well. Uh, be safe. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you guys.